This editorially independent podcast is supported by Visit Flanders. The problem with Hospengau is there is uh, the fact that it is a bit of a wasteland. It, I assume it is difficult to um, to make uh, to 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 really have a, a story there. That's Christoph Tack. He grew up in the Haspenhau region of Belgium and he owns a beer import business called Gobsmack. When I spoke to him, Christoph described this region, one of gently rolling hills, charming villages and fertile vineyards, as a beer wasteland. But there has been activity in the beer scene here in recent years. So just who are the people leading the Haspenhau beer blossom? I'm Brendan Kearney, and you're listening to the Belgian Smack Podcast. Part one, bearing fruit. I was uh, I was I was raised or technically not born, but uh, uh, but, but grew up in Wintersove, which is a, a tiny village of 350 souls, um, which is part of uh, Kortesam, uh, and that is uh, bang in the middle between Hasselt and Tongere. So Christoph Tak grew up in the Haspenhau. The Haspenhau are are his bay in French. It's a loamy plateau between the Meuse and Scheldt rivers which stretches into four different Belgian provinces. Limburg, Flemish Brabant, Namur and Liège. Its cultural heartland, however, is the region in Limburg, south of Hasselt, which extends from St. Truiden to Riemst. Now, the Haspenau has been one of Belgium's main agricultural regions since Roman times and it became a commercial fruit-growing powerhouse in the second half of the 19th century as rail networks developed and industrial centres in England demanded apples, pears and cherries. Um, Haspengo is um, a region uh, that is dotted with with a lot of small villages. Um, There are very few big cities. I think you, we have Tongere and Centruide are the largest ones, and I think there are about 25, 30,000 souls. Um, 
And besides that, there are a lot of tiny villages of 100, 200, 300 people that are um, uh, that are dotted around the area. It's uh, it's quite hilly, um, no big mountains, but a lot of uh, uh, going up and going down. And um, there's a lot of uh, um, a lot of, of fruit uh, growing in the area. It's yeah, uh, that those that kind of the, the landscape of rolling hills and the quality of the soil kind of make it a good place for for agriculture and for fruit growing, I guess. Absolutely, and it's in in spring when the uh, when the trees are blossoming. It is one of the most amazing places to be. It's. Um, uh, I, I, someone once uh, I, I read uh, one, uh, once uh, that someone called it like the uh, the, the Tuscany of uh, of Flanders. I think it's a bit of a stretch <laughs> because it does have the Belgian weather, but um, that the landscape is beautiful um, and it's 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 really uh, it, it's really quiet and uh, um, yeah. There's a, if you wanna wanna get some rest, you you, you get there. Now, on the face of it, the region's rich food culture, its agricultural prowess and its status as a tourist hotspot should make it a place with abundant options for beer. However, the Haspenau is not highly regarded in Belgium for its beer scene. It doesn't form part of the pilgrimage that international beer enthusiasts take to places like the Bajotaland or the Westhoek or Archenachowen. It's not home to a large number of breweries or famous cafes. I'm I'm aware of only a handful of, of breweries uh, that are there, and I I can't get a re- my head around why that is um, because um, there is the the agriculture and the farms that are are still there and is still quite strong. Um, is it through his throughout history it has has always come as a natural partner to brewing, so. Um, I, I suppose it must uh, uh, the, the region must have um, a history of, of brewing that is as strong as any other region, but somehow it has died out. Now, um, maybe it has to do with, um, and I'm, I'm I'm just just a theory. Um, it has to do with the fact that the region has always been very fertile farmland, and farming was was always a very important industry and source of income. And you see that if you go for your walks, you have big farmhouses, these big squares that go up to they're almost castles because farms. Uh, they've always been quite rich, and they've always had uh, a good income, but. Over uh, the last hundred years and longer, um, economic focus has come from agriculture to other industries. And uh, as often, if you're ahead, if your if if your strong point is agriculture, you 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 stick to that and you don't you don't replace it, and you end up lagging to to um, to. Uh, economically to the rest of the country. I still think Haspengo is, is, is one of the lowest mean mean incomes uh, of all of Flanders. And maybe that's a, an, an explanation why there are very few breweries left. I would think it would it would give opportunities for cider makers. 
and mm-hmm. they're absolutely uh, yeah with so many apples and pears yeah and there there's i'm not aware of any cider or berry maker in the area that's crazy what, why i didn't actually think about that why do you think that's not the case is that a, a larger cultural thing with belgian and cider it's it uh do you look at well, the north of be. france you know and and it's 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 all over the north of france Absolutely, it's maybe maybe there's some 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 sort of beer dominance all over Belgium that has um, has has pushed cider away, uh, maybe, um, and maybe um, that is also one of the reasons why uh, if you see anything in alcohol production in in Ospengo, um, you, it's wine. Um, yeah, I I think that has filled the gap left by by beer and cider, and. And is it also because maybe it's one of the places in Belgium that um, grapes grow well? I mean, I know you have some places in, in West Flanders now, mm-hmm. um, but yet just talking about the fertile soil again, maybe that, yeah, we'll give this land to the grapes and then because of that we have wineries. Yeah, the um, the, the soil and, and the slopes, obviously. You uh, mm-hmm. have many, many slopes. Uh, many slopes so you have a lot of uh, uh, plots that are well oriented for uh, to, to catch uh, to catch the sun yeah. so i mean you you said to me that uh, you you consider it to be a bit of a beer wasteland so you're yeah. sta- you're standing by that <laughs> description yeah i i i'm afraid i do yeah Um, I also noticed that well, people like myself, a lot of people have, have moved away um, because I um, it's my home it's my home region. I still have a lot of family there and, 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 and I love it. But I also have to say it was a boring place to grow up. There was like uh, there's still one pub in uh, in the village and and that's it. And if you like it, it's fine. If you don't like it, well, tough luck, nothing to do for you. <laughs> Uh, so, um, and that's why I was, uh, if you're interested in, in, in other things and seeing other things and, and having a more, uh, more active, uh, social life, then you have to move out. And maybe that's how you get a bit more of a, uh, well, you, you shape the people. Ah, yeah. So the the people that maybe might be contributing to a more exciting beer, uh, scene are the the type of people that want to to to, to go to other move to other places because there's nothing there for them. Exactly. Now you might imagine that the fruit used in most of Belgium's fruit beers would originate here. You know the country's biggest fruit growing region, but that's not the case. Raf Souverans of the nearby Hasselt Blendery Bocca often works with Haspenhau fruit. And in their Blusum Bink, Brauerei Kerkum used pear syrup, which is produced in the village of Rolingen. The cherries from the Liefman's Cuvée Brut come each year from the Briefos family creek farm in the village of Uke. But these are the exceptions. Today, for various reasons, few breweries producing fruit beer in Belgium use fruit from the Haspenhau. I was explaining to Christophe that I had talked to a fruit farmer from the Haspenhau. Luke Schierlink of the Limmerhof Fruit Farm in Husselt, who has seen demand from breweries for his cherries decrease, largely due to the cheaper prices Belgian brewers can pay for cherries to be shipped all the way from Poland or from other places in Eastern Europe. 
my parents, when I was young, my parents, they had a few plots of land, small ones, um, where they had put uh, put in small uh, creeken orchards. Um, uh, basically something they um, just think 60, 70 trees all together. Um, and we would just pick it with the family and sell it out at the... the, the Belgische fruitveiling in in Kerniel, we would we would deliver that in the uh, like there the, exactly exactly um, and I recall when I was young there's quite a few people doing that um, and um, at a certain point it stopped um, stopped doing that and I, I asked my father about it a few years ago and um, uh, incidentally I noticed that because I. Uh, I heard from a few uh, lambic producers that until the mid '80s they would get their fruit from Hasmango, um, but then they switched to uh, to, uh, to 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 cherries to Krieke from uh, Eastern Europe, uh, and it was uh, it it struck me as this is about I recall that it, at about the same time. Also for us, we stopped doing that. And I asked my father about it, and he, he says that it had to do with uh, the Chernobyl incident. Um, that exactly. Well, it's um, again. It's I've, I've, um, with mentioning to you, I tried looking it up, but I don't find any decent sources. Um, he said after that, it was really hard to get um, uh, to get any 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 fruit sold from here, whether it was uh, fear of contamination, whether it was actual contamination, or uh, maybe some dotted uh, uh, stocks that were uh, contaminated. I I don't know, and I can't uh, I can't can't find uh, immediately. But he said. Um, that was a time, and it's interesting that you mentioned price. Um, the, at the time, uh, if you had to pay someone to pick fruit, that was uh, you'd pay them ten francs uh, per kilo. Um, and um, then after that, after Chernobyl, when the fruit from Eastern Europe came in, they would get processed and cleaned, uh, jarred, ready to use fruit from Eastern Europe for 10 francs per kilo for exactly that price that over here they were paying to a, to a fruit picker. And um, that's what was like, uh, that's why many small growers, non-professional growers from the region um, stopped, uh, stopped producing, stopped, stopped bothering, it wasn't worth a while anymore. Um, and uh, that may be a similar thing that happened to uh, to, uh, to the uh, lambic producers. The same reasons why they switched to uh, um, uh, to fruit from Eastern Europe. And it's uh, it's interesting that it's um, that this farmer now is still facing the same issue. It shows the power of perception that Belgian breweries might have stopped buying fruit from eastern Belgium because of possible contamination from Chernobyl, but yet they bought them from Czechia and Poland, which are geographically closer to the Ukraine. 
Luke Skierling told me that within five years, it may not be financially viable for his own family farm in the Haspenhau to grow creaking anymore. There's a possible future, not too far away, where the Haspenhau fruit yield becomes an export product for jams and juices only and loses its connection, its historic connection, to Belgian beer. existed in the Haspenhau for years is Kristall Alten, a large brewery now a part of the Alken Mass and Heineken groups, which produces a wide range of beers, including Kristall Pils. So basically the Alken Brewery, the Kristall Brewery, was founded in 1923, so almost 100 years ago. This is Sebastian de Meester, the corporate affairs manager for Alken Mass. Mm-hmm. Um, and and Kristall is, is basically famous for being the first modern Pilsner, Belgian Pilsner on the Belgian market. Uh, it was created in 1928, something that we're very, very proud of. Uh, Crystal has had a hoppy flavor, um, crisp hoppy flavor that is, is really uh, specific for, for, uh, for the brand. Um, so uh, that, that is basically where it comes from. Uh, Alken is situated in the heart of Limburg. Um, and, and, and we're very proud because Limburg is basically uh, the, the, the province of, of taste. There's a lot of uh, things going on from, from uh, Geneva, as you might know, um, mm-hmm. a local type of brandy. Is very famous in Belgium to uh, yeah basically a lot of uh, uh, great restaurants that you have there. So um, I mean, that is a bit the the background. Now um, the company evolved and and, and further developed. Um, in 1988, there was a merger with the Maas Brewery uh, situated not too far from Antwerp, um, and that is when Alken Maas uh, was founded. Um, and, and since 2008, the company is part of the Heineken Group. Um, and so uh, we, we, we also export our beers to uh, within the entire uh, Heineken um, portfolio. Uh, exactly. yeah. I think Alken, I, I think, I, I mean, I really love Alken. Um, it's a small, it's a small village. I think it's uh, just under 10,000 uh, inhabitants. But um, it feels so homely. It feels uh, every time I, I, I come there and I try to get there as uh, much as possible, even though uh, COVID doesn't allow for much. Um, it feels like uh, arriving home. It's it's uh, it's well kept. It's a smooth, a beautiful little little town. It's green and and within the heart of of the of the of the village, you basically have our brewery. So um, Crystal is Alken. Alken is Crystal. We have. Such a great uh, collaboration and, and, and partnership, actually, with with uh, the local community, and um, yeah, it's just uh, it all comes together so beautifully. The the role that we want to play in the local community, but also the way that they are our biggest and first ambassadors. It's uh, it's really it's really great to see. Yeah, the the um, the, the the thing you mentioned there about uh, Crystal Pills being you know the first modern 
um, Pilsner in Belgium is, is really interesting because, you know, I had thought that maybe before that, you know, sort of around First World War, mm-hmm. sort of 1918, there would have been quite a few lagers kind of being mm-hmm. produced or starting to being produced. Um, I mean, how certain is it that that Cristal kind of has yeah. that label or or is it something that you're yeah. just kind of willing into existence out mm-hmm. of a out of a out of pride mm-hmm. um i mean you're absolutely right uh lager was being produced when we talk about uh the first belgian pilsner we really talk about uh the czech kind of uh pilsner so um using the sas hop along with with uh the the specific uh, brewing process and that was well it made it so uh, so special so we're not talking about the first lager but we're really talking about that specific uh brewing process with uh with those ingredients and is is cristal brewed only in alken only in alken yeah 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 and is there any other beer apart from cristal brewed in alken Absolutely. Um, Alken really is the beating heart of, uh, of Alken Maas uh, and the Cristal ah, okay. Brewery is. Um, Cristal is not the biggest brand, uh, by the way. Uh, so it's, uh, but I mean, it is one of our most beloved brands because, uh, because of that heritage and because of that uh, role that it is uh, able to play. Um, but we also brew our Maas there. We also brew Grimbergen there. Um, mm-hmm. I wanted to know what Sebastian thought about why the Haspenhau might have garnered a reputation as a place where beer and brewing were underdeveloped. Lemberham, especially more the southern part, is is um, not as populated. So I think when breweries start disappearing, all of a sudden, I think I think in those areas it starts to show more quickly, and 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 the the vacuum that exists then uh, becomes more. Uh, you, you can see it easier there, but also what you're saying about the 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 the, um, the orchards and and um, basically the the type of economic activity you have there, it is more directed at at winemaking, for example, or 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 at different products. Apart from Cristal, it's worth mentioning Carcom as an historical brewing influence in the Haspenhau. Carcom has been a brewery on and off since 1878 here, but today the brewery system sits unused because of what owner Mark Lime says are issues with a permit. Their Bink range of beers is named for the people from the nearest city. Binks are people from St. Trouden. But they're brewed not in the Haspenhau, but at Brouwerij Cornelissen in Oppeter and at the Proofbrouwerij in Locristi. The cafe at Kerkom is beautiful. An old farm courtyard with cobblestones allows ample space for tables and chairs, and the frayed red brick and higgledy-piggledy roof tiles emanate an old-world romance. But in terms of beer in the Haspenhau, that was pretty much it for a long time. Cristal and Bink. Until 2011, when Mike Janssens arrived to the Aspenhau.
Part 2 A Place in Blossom effectively 1743 um, and then in 1890 the family uh, Nikolai they decided to start distilling as well so um, in 1890 the the huge building uh, which we are still visiting with all our hundred thousand visitors a year um, uh, is uh, was built in 1890 and then um, besides brewing they start also um, distilling so the 1743 is the oldest uh, notes about um, brewing and 1890 is the start uh, with a huge building and a, a, a huge production unit because it's uh, the, the it's one of the largest uh, columns in in Europe um, from the 1800s um, distilling columns it's a uh, it's I, I can't remember I think it's 10 or 11 meters it's it's really spectacular so this is Mike Janssen together with his wife Ronique van Bray he made waves in the Haspenhaal when he opened a new brewery in the village of Wilderen back in 2011, located in buildings dating back to 1642, which had a long history of brewing and distilling. Brouwery Wilderen produce a range of Belgian eels, the most well-known being their Triple Canunic, a spicy four-grain triple of 8.2% ABV, brewed using barley, wheat, oats and rye, which today makes up about 40% of all beer the brewery produces. And that's the reason we started, because I, I started with beer in my, in my, in my career in, in, in a brewery in 1988, and, and it was always beers, beers, beers. But then here, when we bought this, my wife and myself, uh, about uh, 12, 13 years ago, um, because the, we, we wanted to start with visits uh, of the old part as well, um, we couldn't wait with, with uh, distilling as well. And that's the reason we started in the beginning with Geneva and Eau de Bière, the two um, most, um, yeah, mm -hmm. the oldest yeah. products we have now. And then a year later, we started with gin, uh, whiskey, etc., etc. So when did you guys then kind of take over the, the brewery as it is now? You have to know that we bought it from a widow, um, the, the last wife from the, the owner and the mayor from Wilderen, because uh, all the generations, uh, Nikolai, they were the, the burgemeester of Wilderen. Um, and his, there were no kids anymore. It is the wife uh, uh, who tried to sell it for 20, 30 years already. And um, she lived there um, totally alone. And, and my wife discovered uh, on, on, on the internet um, the buildings for sale. It's uh, 2007. And um, we arrived here and we signed a document uh, two hours later. So uh, oh, she, wow. was, she was very happy after 20 or 30 years. Yeah. I'm sure. I'm, why do you think the difficulty in, in finding someone originally to, to, to buy it for so long? 
Yeah, you have to you have to have a plan. That's the same thing when I bought uh, Terdol uh, thirty years ago um, with my wife. That wife at that moment, um, it it was also a building. It's my third monument for the moment. Wilder is the third time I, I did a. I, 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 it's nice to buy places and monuments that nobody wants, and it's nothing. It's, it has nothing to do with 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 um, uh, money of subside because we. I, I, I'm very proud that the three monuments I did. They we did it without um, renovation money from the government or whatever, because then it's taking about uh, five to ten years before your building is ready. So um, this. No, absolutely, uh, and thing, I think I think you you need a vision as well, and maybe others didn't have the vision that you had to. See yes, the, the and, and a touristic. It's 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 the buildings, the tourism, and then the right products. I think because I'm I'm, I'm very proud on the hundred thousand people. They are not all visiting the buildings. Huh? Let's say that about one fourth, uh, twenty between twenty two and twenty five thousand people uh, do the visit and pay for the visit. Um, the other people uh, they are only coming here to to drink and to look around because without a visit, it's also nice uh, to we have eight or more than 800 seats inside uh-huh. and outside um and and that's what people like and the the service is good the the, the concept it's not it's not a restaurant you cannot buy uh eat steaks and spaghetti and pizza and it's it's very clear it's a very clear concept you come here to drink some beers to drink some distillates and you can have a, 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 a let's say a tapas bord and some bread and soup and very simple thing a cheese made with hops and spices for my canonic beer things like that I started for uh, to work for a boss uh, brewery Riva, uh, which was uh, Riva. Uh, that was in uh, Dentergem. Um, yeah. Dentergem. Yeah, that Dentergem. was. Uh, I started the Splen- there in 1988 um, as as yeah commercial director. Uh, in that time, it was a small pills brewery, and then we started with make uh, Dentergem's with beer. Um, uh, Pierre Celis just started with Hoogarden, and it was nice to to be his competitor and and growing and growing very fast. We took over in that time uh, first uh, Straffe Hendrik in Brugge, then we bought Liefmans in Oudenaarde, and then we we bought 50% of Caro. Um, in Mechelen and and Ivan the Splinter, he was uh, very happy uh, by growing and and he uh, we 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 talked a lot and he did all everything I asked and we we grow very fast. But after five years, I uh, I had enough of, of of working for for a boss and I start for myself and that was Trudole then. Mike has seen the inside of a lot of breweries, but he's also seen the inside of a lot of places. What does he think? Of the Haspenhau. Haspenhau is I, I lived and worked, so I can I can talk uh, for, as a as a as a professional. I lived and worked with a business in every Be- uh, Flemish province in Brussels. Uh-huh. I lived uh, really. I was in West Vlaanderen, in Veurne. Uh, I, I was even born in, in Antwerp. Um, I, I can tell you, I worked and lived in in, in Ghent uh, and. Um, um, but Limburg, it's my second wife and second brewery in Limburg. Um, uh, Haspergau, it's it's. Uh, I'm not saying they are uh, many times comparing it with uh, with Toscania. What what bullshit is that? Uh, Toscania is ten times beautiful. But do, do people do that? To prepare like say it's the the Tuscan Flanders type thing. 
Yes, it is nice to see it because if you the the Fitzer route network here is so nice. If you go, yeah. if I go with my boys, uh, fourteen and fifteen years, and then my wife, um, um, and that's the good from COVID. I have time in the weekend, so I discovered last uh, last months we discovered Haspergau on a way. I'm I'm very uh, lyrics about that because it is it is unique. It's really so special and yeah. Ultra beautiful, yeah, ultra. And you have all those small pubs and terraces and, and pop-up bars and, 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 yeah, nice places to discover, which you have in Oudenaarde, which you have in maybe in the north of Limburg as well, I know, but it's flat or the Ardennen is beautiful as well, but Limburg, it's, it's shiny, it's open, Ali Hasperau, it's, it's open. You, you have the, the, the glowing and the, 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 the little mountains, and it's not Bergen, but, yeah. It's, it's yeah, uh, spectacular. And with and the I guess us, uh, right now, I think it's saying it's the start of the kind of the bloom season. So you will have all the the, the trees. It's now. Their, I'm looking yeah. at it now. Yeah. So, so how, how does it look right now? Yeah, it's beautiful. But I mean, my heart is bleeding because because it's uh, it's the second year in a row that my best months are April and uh, May. The, the the two top months here in brewery. It's not July or August. It's always full house. But then it's really full house. Then uh, every seat is uh, is full. Uh, ten days, uh, ten hours in a day. Um, it's it's yeah. It's the most beautiful period. But uh, I'm very happy that uh, like July and August last year when we were were reopened uh, we we had a double turnover here on location in in visitors in in, in uh, money uh, yeah. because people uh, stay in all in their own country of course and uh, they discover places like mine here um, yeah same year that Brauerei Wilderen opened its doors, another brewery launched. Den Tuteler is located in Husselt and shows us that groups of fermentation hobbyists of beer and wine have been in operation under the radar in the Haspenhau for years. Oh, we started the brewery uh, at first. Uh, we were uh, hobbyists. So we did uh, brew little brews uh, about uh, 30 liters. This is Luc Feestjens, uh, one of the owners of Den Tuteler. We did that in an um, uh, in a company uh, in a group uh, where we learned to brew. And once a year we did go brew in Bokrek, that is an open air museum, and there is also an old brewery. So we, we learned there a lot of uh, the old-fashioned way of brewing. Uh, they only had one uh, vessel uh, for boiling the water. Uh, and th that system also. Uh, and then at the moment, uh, we joined the, together I, I think, and we I think, uh, uh, said, yes. Is that, is that, is that the Hilde van Demmerdal? Yes, exactly, yes. Um, I, I've actually been to the Open Brew Day in Bokrek um, with the with all the guys from Demerdal and I've seen the kind of, you know, the, 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 the big fire oven that, that creates heat for the, the kettles. And, yes. you know, they usually pour one, one beer on the day itself um, and everyone's wearing the kind of the old aprons and the, and the old costumes. So you were, you were part of those days? Yes, yes. 
fantastic. Yeah. Yes, it is also fantastic. Uh, and uh, yeah, you know a lot of the history. Uh, the brewing uh, today is just uh, computer. Uh, uh, how do you say it? Uh, computers. Uh, yeah, automated. Automated. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, completely automated. And uh, so uh, there you learn uh, what is brewing. You you feel the spirit, you feel the ingredients, uh, you can feel the heat, uh, everything. It's uh, how it was uh, being started. The name of the brewery is Dialect of the Region. Uh, Tudler, it's a dialect for uh, a tree. Uh, it's an elderflower tree. Uh, and uh, we use the elderflowers in our beer. Uh, and because the dialect we use over here, uh, Tudler, and we thought that's a nice name for, for the brewery. And was it, were you always going to use elderflower? Uh, in the beers uh, we use from the brewery, yes. Is that just because you like the the flavor profile, or is it because it's something you know very connected to the the place of the brewery? Um, the taste is the most important thing. Uh, why we like it? Okay. Um, so uh, did I also read somewhere that so then tutelar is then is is the tree? Did, did I read something about a whistle? Yes. Um, why did they call it over here uh, in Tudler? Uh, in history, they made uh, whistles of of the uh, of the wood of the tree uh, because it is easy to make it whole inside because it's soft in inside and you can pull out the the murk and then. Um, you can drill a little hole on top, uh, use um, a cigarette blade and uh, um, a racker so you can uh, put it on the top and then you can use a whistle like an, uh, uh, a kazoo. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. And and so that, that then is kind of, is that a, a known a musical instrument or a known sort of instrument around where you live? Uh, no, it, it's not uh, used anymore. I, why not? I don't know because it's too easy. I don't know why. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, in terms of your your the lineup of your beers, um, so you have a, a, a wit beer. Yes. Is that, that's made with elderflower? Uh, that uh, all the beers are made with elderflower, but oh, wow. the the wit beer is the first one we have made over here in the brewery. That's where uh, where we started uh, the brewery with. Okay, so you're use are you using like a, a higher proportion of malted wheat? Yes. Uh, like what is it? Like forty percent or something? Or uh, it's uh, uh, about yes, about forty percent of uh, wheat. And uh, and sixty percent of uh, um, pills malt, yes. And then you have like a, a probably like a low alpha, um, low low 
bettering hop addition? Yes, uh, that's uh, easy to drink. Yes, and I mean uh, uh, the the kind of the classic uh, Belgian wit beers also use um, bitter orange peel and some coriander. Are you using that as well as the elderflower, or or replacing it with the elderflower? Uh, we have replaced it with uh, the elderflower. Okay, so does that mean it's kind of less spicy and a little bit more floral, or a bit yes, more? Yeah. Yes. Yes, it's uh, easy to drink in the summer. It's very refreshing. So that's breweries. But what about those on the front line serving beer to people? And and for the, the beer awards, did you win Restaurant of the Year in 2017? Yeah. Or 2018? Both. <laughs> ah, so two years in a row. So how did that feel? Three, three years in a row. Ah, was it 2019 as well? Yeah, I think, yeah. And how, how, how did that feel? Yeah, it's something special. The first time we, we participate, uh, we won the, the awards. The first time we were in the Gomeo Hits, we had the beer card of the year. Uh, that's the beer menu of the year. And the first time that we were in the Michelagets, we had a big gourmet. Wow. So, that's fantastic. Yeah. Congratulations. That's something yeah, something I, you always will will remember with, yeah. Here I'm speaking to Raf Sainte. He's the chef owner of a restaurant in St. Truiden called the Hebranda Winning, which he took over in 2014 and transformed into a beer restaurant. No, when I was six years old, I told my mother I would be a chef later. So, and was I, that just because you saw people in the kitchen, or, or where did that come from? Yeah, my my grandma, she was a my grandmother was a really good cook. Ah, so when we were there, we can sit on the table and and prepare food together, and uh, yeah, we can. And what sort of things did she make? The basic, uh, like the, the flour, just over there, and the, yeah, yeah, fide, yeah, and then she made her own croquette and uh, and then all those things, yeah, like the homely, the, the homely yeah, food, yeah, yeah. And uh, what like was her? the turkey with Christmas, huh? we we always may help to 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 uh, yeah, to make the turkey with uh, on, on Christmas, yeah, and, uh, yeah. To shop and, the the potatoes to make uh, yeah croquette and and, and 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 all those things. <laughs> so uh, when we started here, that's uh, seven years ago. But there is a large history of the building. Of course, uh, the building was built in 1633. Um, yeah. As a as a farmhouse, uh, and mm-hmm. then uh, there was a, a large uh, fire in the in the building here in the 1700s, and uh, that's the way that it's called the Gebrande Winning, which means yeah, burned farmhouse. Uh, but the people here in Centreuil they call it already for years the Gebrande Winning. So we kept so is, is winning is does winning mean farmhouse? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's just you kept the name that everyone was calling it anyway. Yeah. 
it's, it's called by the by the people of Centreude for for many years for so about 200 years is that already the name of the building so yeah it was good to keep it uh, to keep it like that and um when did you take it over then when did you buy it uh seven years ago we started almost seven years ago uh we started here and we we made our own thing of it uh, was it a restaurant before that yeah in about 50, 50 years, I think it was a restaurant uh, with two previous owners, and and, and then we came in it. Yeah, because I, I don't know. Like, did have you seen change in Sittrauden in terms of like the beer uh, community or or kind of the beer that <laughs> was offered? When so we like, started here, everyone told me that I was nuts to do that, but yeah. Why did they, why did they say that? Just they didn't think there'd be an audience, or, or they what was they didn't understand my vision and about it. I think, and now they see what we are doing, and yeah, now in Corona uh, times, there were five or six people who asked me to when I can make their beer cards because they want to have more beer on the beer menu as well like other yeah. other cafe yeah restaurants yeah i always want to be different you know <laughs> i always want to to walk my own path and to to do my own my own thing you know and yeah i, I didn't want to to watch others and it it for me it, it was not the the idea to get something commercial, you know? Yeah, of course. People can come over here and when they are satisfied, when they go home and they are, yeah, they are uh, fans and, and friends when they go home, you know? Yeah, uh, of course. That that was the thing. And I, I, I never looked to the money you can earn with it. So I gave it the time to, to grow and, and to do my own thing, you know? And then... And then I'm happy when I can can be creative. So Raf is doing something a little bit different in Beer in the Hospital by creating dishes with interesting beers and by hosting beer and food pairing evenings. He sells the classic Belgian ales of Carcom and Wilderen, but he's also interested in breweries in Belgium producing beers of spontaneous and mixed fermentation as well as breweries producing beers that are a twist on like a classic saison or dark strong ale, and those with beers inspired by international styles like IPAs, stouts, and even grape ales. I ask him if there are any other people in the Haspenhau doing interesting things in beer. There is a small brewery which started a few weeks ago, a few months ago, it's the Hophemel. Um, yeah, they are new and they are uh, more in the craft beer scene. They're uh, really beer geeks as well. So uh, yeah, I hope that they that they find their position here in Haspengo. Uh, and are, are, are those guys based in um, in Zetruiden? Yeah, they are. Uh, the brewery itself is in Zapper, huh? which is uh, in about five kilometers from here. And uh, they have uh, an arrangement with Brew Bro in uh, in Genk, uh, where they can can brew their own beers uh, for the moment. Okay, I'm just on their site here. So that's Heert van Dormel Mal and Steven Brooks. 
Yeah, that's true. And, and do you know the guys? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When What's we have a, a beer festival over here, where you were uh, last year eh, on the beer circus. Yes, yeah. Uh, um, those two guys uh, helped me yeah, with, with, with everything on the festival, with the artworks, with uh, the workout, with... Uh, yeah. Okay, yeah, excellent. And, yeah. and what's their background? Do they what, what do they do in, in like, I guess the Hop Hamel is, is not full-time right now. It's like a part-time. No, no, no. no. Uh, uh, Steven, he's an architect. So he's, uh, yeah, he's in a total different uh, business. And here he works in the, the hospital in Genk. Um, but they are really beer geeks. They love the beer and they had the, the Zytologie uh, courses in, in Hasselt a few years ago. And then the ID grew to, to make, a, uh, to make a, a brewery here in the neighborhood, uh, which is based on, 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 on their uh, love of the beer. Uh, okay, excellent. Yeah, I think I might um, try and reach out to those guys to, to talk to them. Um, yeah. I can give you their numbers if you want. So that would be great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hello. Hello. Is that Stephen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Stephen. Ste Brooks. Stephen. Hi. How are you? My name is Brendan Kearney. I hi, run. Brendan. I run a website and podcast called Belgian Smack. Yes. Um, I got your Don't number. I got your number from Ross Santa. Yeah, I heard about it. Okay, yeah. okay, okay, good. So no, this I, is Stephen Brooks. He's an architect and co-founder of the Hop Hamel, who have a small home brewery in Stephen's home in Zeppelin, where they also host beer and food pairings. They brew their commercially available beers at a collaborative brewing space in Hyank called Brau, and that's 500 litres at a time. No, it sounds like you have very good English. You can get some pieces here and there. Yeah, <laughs> perfect. Um, so no, no problem. Stephen's partner in the Hop Hamel project is Hirt van Dormal, who works at the hospital in Genk. Did you meet oh, him sort of recently? Or? No, we met, I think, seven or eight years ago at the uh, at, uh, Zytology course at Sintra in Hasselt. Ah, yeah. yeah. We, we never met before. Um, I, I, I went down all alone. I was, I was thinking I need a new hobby for myself. Uh, what can I do? I'm interested in beer. Uh, I looked at the courses at Sintan. Zytology was uh, there. I think it was the second or third year. I don't remember exactly. Um, they put on the course. So I thought, let's go. Um, so I was uh, I was uh, selected in the in the year. Uh, I, I, I looked for myself for a chair to sit. Um, and here was sitting, I think, next to me. Okay. Um, so he said, "Hi, I'm Steve, and I am here." And that was the start of everything. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so were, were you? Were you like? Were you, did you start the homebrew together, or just taste beers and talk about beers? Or, or no, in the in the beginning, because the first year of uh, of the Sintra Zytology um, uh, uh, course is very well, was in that time it was very theoretical. Um, we learned a lot about how beer was made and all the components and the chemical. Uh, 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 thing behind it, but in, in, in that year we didn't have any practice. Um, and I had for my 30th birthday, I, I got uh, brewing kettle for my friends, so mm -hmm. I made a few home brews in the kitchen before. Uh, and, and some of my other colleagues in the course they never really brewed a beer, 
So we, 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 had, we had all the theory, we, we didn't have the, the practice. Yeah. So at the end of the year, we said, okay, uh, let's meet, uh, let's, let's, uh, uh, on a Saturday, let's, uh, put out the brew kettles here in my, in my uh, barn. Um, Geertie had an, uh, education, uh, as a chef in, uh, also in the hotel school. Okay. Uh, together with another friend. And they said, okay, that's, that's cool, a good idea. We will make some, uh, nice, uh, bites, uh, something to eat. Yeah. Uh, another guy got some beer and then we started, uh, brewing, yeah, the whole day long. We, we tried to make a triple, uh, but it was more tasting other beers and, uh, trying to, to do some food pairings with those beers, with the things that Geert and, uh, and Didier cooked, instead of brewing. Uh, so in the end of the day, we had a beer, we made something. I think it was one of the worst beers we ever made. <laughs> Steven and Geert and three other classmates from the Zetalog course in Hasselt ended up starting a small company called the Brouwers Quintet, which hosted beer and food pairings at cafes and restaurants and kitchens of companies and private living rooms. And as the number of events mounted, the pairings became even more considered and ambitious. They paired smoked salmon mousse and dill cream with de la Seine's dry citrusy talas bulba, a Caesar salad, poached quail eggs and grilled chicken with Houtnest's bright, sort of Saison-esque kukadama, and the rich Phineas Leifmann's Holdenband with blue cheese, walnuts, yona gold and mustard dressing. They even had their own beer brewed for pairings, the Quintet Triple, and they brewed it with Luke Feistjens of Den Tuteler. I wondered how much interaction Stephen had with the few other players in Haspenhau beer that I had spoken to. Have, have you been to the, the, the Catacomb? Yeah, wedding reception wasn't there. Uh, their your your yeah. wedding reception? Yeah, yeah. Oh, fantastic! What a beautiful place to, to have a re- was it? Yeah, really. Yeah, yeah. We didn't drink uh, pinches at our wedding. It was all pink, pink blondes or something. Oh, awesome! That's so cool. So, uh, yeah. And, uh, and when when was that? Oh, that was um, <laughs> fourteen years ago. Fourteen years. Two thousand and seven. Yeah. Two thousand seven. That's so cool. Yeah. And have you ever met this guy, Luke from the Tuteler? Yeah, because with uh, Brouwers, that had a, the firm before we, we uh, priced the beer, the Quintet Triple. Back th- at that day, we, we also made Triple, and it was brewed at Tuteler. Yeah. Ah, well, that, that's really yeah. interesting. Um, and have you ever visited uh, Alken, Alken Mass? Probably the big can't. brewery, no, I've never been uh, inside of the brewery. No, no, no. Yeah. I know the brewery, of course. My children are in school in August, so they are uh, literally below the brewery. Um, you can see the, the, I think it's the Malt Towers, uh, when we drive to school. They, always, they are painted red and white. And they say, ah, oh, it's the popcorn uh, uh, bags, because they're also red and white. Yeah. And that's that's yeah. the landmark of the Alka brewery. Yeah. Oh. And then, have you been to, um, have you been to Wilderen? Yeah, often, eh? Yeah, yeah. It's 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 like when we uh, go for a bike ride or something. It's a nice place to to bike to, drink a beer on their terrace and yeah. then uh, slightly tipsy drive back home. I, I think what I like is like Wilden Also, it's a bit of an undiscovered pearl. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's when you go on holiday. That's the the best memory you have is when you you are somewhere and suddenly there's like this brewery you've never heard of. You can try something you've never tried before. That's the memory that's still 
Yeah. It's in your head all the time. Yeah. It's a the world and experience for many people, I think. Yeah. And maybe for Limburg uh, as a whole, Kerkom uh, is a bit the same. They're even more, uh, they're less commercial than Wilde. You really have to, to go there. It's, 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 it's out in the fields. Uh, uh, it's not like you, you, it's not in the, in the, in the, in the big city or something. You really have to, to look for it or go there or, uh, come there by accident. Uh, so that's what, what, what makes the experience, I think. Absolutely. Absolutely. So back to the Brouwers Quintet now. Coordinating the schedules of five different people, each with families and full-time jobs, and you know maybe different visions for the project, that became impossible. So three of the Brouwers Quintet took a step back, but Stephen and Hirt were not ready to stop. They decided that they would continue brewing together in a converted barn beside Stephen's house. They used a calendar hanging in the wall of the barn one page a day to name their beers. Each page had the name of a saint. So on the day a particular beer was brewed, they would look at the calendar and christen the beer. Saint Monica Paleo, Judas Tadeus Quadruple, the Pius Simplicus Triple. During the two years that followed, they nailed more than 50 recipes. They began hosting ticketed food and pairing events in Zeppelin. Innocentius, an oak-aged mulberry golden ale with a pearl onion tartata. Lupus blossom honey braggot saison with sticky spicy ribs. And their super dry brute IPA, Caesarius, with slow cooked pulled pork, pineapple salsa and flatbread. On open days that they would host, beer sold out and food ran short. They began limiting their flights to 100 units. It was then they decided to sell their beer commercially and their first batches at Brau in Hienk included a grape ale called Geronimo, a double dry hop New England style IPA called Alexandra and a Thai Russian Imperial Stout called Stefanos. But how would a traditional drinker in the Haspenhau react to beers outside the usual gambit of Blunche and Brunche? And, and what's, what's the reaction when you kind of um, present, you know, like a double dry hop New England IPA or an American IPA, which has, you know, more, you know, sort of citrus or tropical fruit character. Yeah. Or, or like a, a grape ale, like to, to, to a traditional, you know, Belgian yeah, yeah, drinker yeah. who might normally only drink a triple or a duvel. Yeah, or, true, true. What yeah. do they say to you? It's not easy. Um, most people, I've, with our clients, we also see you have the geeks eh, who are looking for those kind of beers and they know what it's about. They know what a naipa is or what a, Sorry, tractor passing by, <laughs> or what a Russian imperial stout is. Yeah. Um, but if you if you have the locals, uh, we have some people from my street or a village who come here for beer because they saw this brewery in town, so we have to check it out. We say, how ah, did this this is an ah, is it blonde or brown? That's yeah. the, the classic question. Blonde, blonde or yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, blonde or brown? What is, is it? Is it? Is it a pinch? Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> so it's it's almost every time. Somebody local comes, you have to, to educate them a bit. Like, no, it's a beer that's made this way. It's new in an IPA. It's uh, you aim on the fruitiness of the of the hops, not on the bitterness. So, with the reaction we get, and then um, when when you can give them a bit the explanation about it, I think they understand it and they appreciate the beer. They they uh, it's, it's a technical explanation, I think, but still they 
you, you can see that they, they understand what it's about and that's already a step ahead on uh, what they think about or, or, yeah. or how they like the beer, I think. Yeah. Uh, For Steven and Hirt, the hop hemel was their passion. They began shopping for their own brewery at the Braubiviala Brewery Trade Fair in Nuremberg and they wrote a business plan which would see them quit their jobs and go full-time as brewers. But the Haspenhau at the time did not feel like a place for new beer projects. In January of 2019, one of the Haspenhau's newest breweries, Brauerei Amburon, located near Tongeren, was declared bankrupt. Amburon produced the Tungri beers, as well as brewing for third parties, and had been in operation for just two years before it was forced to close. And then the local beer club, the Limburgse Biervrinden, the Limburg Beer Friends, in existence for 25 years and boasting hundreds of members, took a decision to cease their activities for good. For years they had been unable to convince younger generations to become members, and no one had come forward to lead the club. Now, they had little option but to end their association forever. And then, the pandemic. Part three, perspective. On the 18th of March, 2020, Belgium went into lockdown due to the outbreak of the SARS-CoV-2 coronavirus. Not only were Stephen Brooks and Heert van Dormel unable to meet up to brew together, to visit breweries, or to conduct beer and food pairing events, but their day jobs became especially demanding and intense. Hello, I'm Geert van Dormel. Geert, hi, it's Brendan here from Belgian Smack. Hello, Brendan. How are you? Very well, and you? I'm good, I'm good. Um, you still okay for, for a short chat now? No problem, I was too bad. Perfect. I closed my door at my office. Okay, okay, great. So you, you're in uh, in hospital in Limburg? Yes, that's correct. And what's what's your what's your job function there? Uh, I'm uh, what's called in English, or yeah, it's called manager for logistics in the hospital. So this is Hirt van Dormal. He's in his office at the hospital in Hjank, where he works. Um, when you go in Limburg or in Hospital, which is a part I, uh, Limburg is a part of, uh, all the breweries look a little, little bit the same. Uh, you have always a blonde, a, a brown, and a triple. Um, and I would. I wanted to taste something differently, um, and that's a little bit why we do what we do today. So uh, not being typically a uh, blonde, brown, and purple brewery, but being a little bit experimental. Um, and that is, I think, a little bit unique in, in Limburg. Um, 
and that is uh, which I hope will become more not only uh, what we do but uh, that others will start also doing something like that. Um, we see that a little bit as a mission to to learn people the different styles of beers. I know it's a little bit uh, not silly to to want to do that, but I'm sure that when you tell the right story and you um, compare it with the beer they know, um, that you can sell that, that you can make them used to. So the pandemic changed all their plans. As an architect focusing on residential properties, Stephen Brooks found himself busier than ever. The lockdown had shown people how important the spaces in which they lived were to their well-being. In the East Limburg Hospital, Van Dormal became responsible for getting hundreds of pallets of personal protection materials into departments of the hospital that needed them. There was a global shortage of masks, gloves and protective clothing and Van Dormal had to figure out how to get them delivered to where they were needed. Like, did you notice a big change in your job when the, the lockdowns happened and the pandemic began? Of course, of course. Um, for From a starter, we have to had the COVID departments. Uh, some departments are uh, changed to COVID ones. That means that everything that goes in and out needs to be uh, taken very carefully. They need a lot of extra material, of course. We need a lot of uh, personal um, protection for the yeah. for the staff. So a lot of masks, uh, packs, uh, uh, uh Yeah, gloves. Ha- gloves. Gloves, sorry, yeah, the gloves, yeah. yeah. Indeed. Um, and where we used very limited amounts of these stuffs, uh, we now use I don't know, 10 pounds a week or something like that. So uh, we we had a hard time to uh, be able to um, get those stuff because worldwide uh, a big uh, request for the, those uh, protection um, stuff. And uh, yeah, we had hard times to get them in. And then we uh, bought a lot of them. Yeah. <laughs> so now I have, I have hundreds of, of pallets of uh, PBMs in my warehouse. Uh, being uh, yeah ahead of time to to be protected the next year or something like that. But that's good. Yeah, you have to plan ahead. A lot of, yeah, there's a lot of lot of work to handle those those extra materials. But yeah, um, but yeah, it still has a has a big pressure on the on the people in the hospital, of course. Sure. Not only the extra work and the stress and and the, your your own person because everybody in the beginning was also afraid to. Uh, to get ill themselves, um, yeah. but it's but procedures that um, are new every day. Every day we get new procedures to be uh, protective against this, to be uh, protective against that that kind of patients, and that makes it very hard. It's not only the working with the hands, but also all the procedures that changing constantly, making it also for the brain very uh, yeah, it very hard. Brewing and creating beer experiences was their passion, but the newfound challenges in their day jobs motivated them and gave them a purpose. This new perspective resulted in them taking a different approach, officially incorporating Brauerei Hop Hemel as a company on the 1st of October 2020, with the firm intention of continuing as a part-time project 
rather than as their main occupations. As waves of COVID-19 infections rose and fell, and as government lockdowns tightened and eased, they continued brewing when they could. Our dream is to, to really start uh, our, our brewery on a bigger scale. To... This is Stephen Brooks again. Not too big, but we can still make one-offs mm-hmm. uh, with a tap room where we can uh, let people enjoy what we make uh, and, and, and do something with our food pairing uh, story so they can uh, uh, um, mix both together, not in a restaurant way, but really in a tap room way. Yeah. Um, so we still look around. <laughs> And if the opportunity comes, then we uh, will jump. Uh, but at the moment, uh, we don't have to. We don't have to live with it. Because uh, that was our, our big conclusion uh, with all the, the, the COVID pandemic, that uh, we both have a good job. Um, yeah. And, and, and the lockdowns and everything, it put everything on uh, on scale again. Eh? To think, what are we are we going to try to take the risk to uh, push the reset button and uh, try to do something like this? Uh, where uh, the government can say, okay, now you're closed for half a year, um, or are we trying to do our job and make our hobby uh, something fun to do, while still uh, we can make a little bit of money off it, but uh, can bring nice and uh, original beers to people. Um, so at the moment, we're, we're uh, with our heads on... Uh, yeah, trying to figure it out. The second one, I think, but yeah, we are still... Walking around, if an opportunity comes along, we uh, we, we we overthink everything. So uh, yeah. everything is possible at the moment. Okay. I think. Cool. On the eighth of May, twenty twenty one, outdoor hospitality opened up again to drinkers in Belgium. And on the 9th of June, indoor drinking and eating was once again permitted. Catacomb and Wilderen saw a lot of people back on their terraces this summer, especially given that a lot of Belgians holidayed in-country due to strict international travel restrictions. Stephen and Hirt are looking forward to getting back to delivering intimate food and beer pouring events with the Hop Hemel. This last few years has put everything into perspective for lots of people in the Haspenhau beer scene and for people everywhere. During the lockdown, Stephen and his wife Wivina and their three children, Malin, Linus and Remus, would often go cycling from their small farmhouse in Zeppelin to other villages in the area. One place they visited was an art installation near the village of Borglone that had been created to fit into the landscape. The artwork was a church structure that stretched 10 metres high and consisted of 100 stacked layers of steel plates which together weighed about 30 tonnes. The architects had designed the church so that you could see the landscape through the plates no matter where you stood, but how much you could see and what you saw depended on where exactly you were standing. The artwork was titled Reading Between the Lines and had become one of the Haspenhau's most iconic visitor attractions.
Stephen's five-year-old twin girls would try to climb the interior, and in the evening the setting sun would cast their figures into silhouettes as the orchards lit up under a yellow and orange glow. And as an architect himself, Stephen appreciated the experiment in perspective. Wandering around the artwork, he found some spots from which he could hardly see the church at all. The steel frames appeared as dots, almost like birds or insects dispersing. The fields and orchards clearly visible through the art, as if the construction had dissolved into the landscape. From other spots, however, only a few metres away, the church was completely visible its walls and roof dominating the view towards Borglón. It was all about point of view. How you see things is not just about accepting what does or does not appear to be there, but it's dependent on the place in which you're standing. Change your focus and a whole set of new colours might just blossom right there in front of you. Thanks to Visit Flanders for their support in producing this podcast. Thanks to you all for listening. My name is Brendan Kearney. This has been the Belgian Smack Podcast. Until next time, love what you do.